What's going on, everybody? This is Black Men Sundays. I'm your host, Corey Sylvester Murray. This is a podcast about generational wealth, finance, and business. You see, one of the things that, that's very important about just transferring, when we start talking about transferring um, wealth, is that we only think in terms of transferring assets. But what about transferring knowledge? You see, because if you don't pass the knowledge down, the Bible says a fool and his money will soon depart. If you don't pass down the knowledge, this is how you see a lot of professional athletes go from being broke to being rich to being right back broke because nobody ever taught them money principles. And that's why I mentioned earlier is that until you learn to master money, money will always be your master. Because if you don't really understand the principles of how you built that wealth, then it will escape you because your habits have not changed. Your mindset hadn't changed as in terms of how you handle money, the things that you value, the things that are important, your habits, your, what you do with that money. That's how you can pass money down. And then, or you see people win the lottery and they come into tens and tens of millions of dollars. And you read those horror stories that how did all that money just disappear? It's because nobody taught them money principles. So that's what we've got to become great at is not just passing down the, the wealth, but we got to pass down the knowledge as well. So that's one of the things I'm doing in my family is that I'm already going to be, I'm setting up things to where, you know, my children and their spouses, and I only got one that has a spouse and my other daughter that's going to be coming, that's going to later have a spouse. And we're going to be having these family meetings where we're going to be going in and we're going to be talking about, hey, let's talk about financial strategies. What are we doing here? Let's make sure that you understand how to make good financial decisions, not just only on how to deal with debt, how to deal with credit, how to deal with, you know, how to deal with investing, all of those things to where they will know when I pass on and they receive a lot of wealth that comes into them, they're not intimidated by that or and they know how to make that and grow that better to the next generation. So that's what's very, very important. But what if I got kids that are not willing to listen, okay? What if I'm not in a position to where I can, where I can explain that? You see, I'm at an advantage. I'm a financial advisor, so it's easier for me to pass on that knowledge, you know, to, you know, to, my, to my children. But what if, but, but my dad couldn't have passed that down to me because he never learned it. So where am I going to get that? So that's where a trust comes in. So a trust comes in that says, okay, now I've got a million dollars and I got a lot of these real estate properties and I got all these things that I'm going to pass down to my, you know, to my next, to, to the next generation. But what I'm going to name as a beneficiary, because my, my kids are 10 and eight, I'm not going to leave that to them. I'm not going to leave it to my whoever that might be that don't know how to handle money. So I'm going to open up a trust and, and I'm going to put that in there. And so now the trust is the beneficiary. So when I, when I pass away, then the money goes directly to the trust. And now when you name a trust, now the key to that is that now you've got to have another person in your life who is going to be the custodian or the executor of that trust. That's a very important person, just like naming uh, somebody who's going to take care of your kids. Whoever you name it is executor over that trust. See, now, therefore, you can put guardrails around how that money is going to be used and how that money is going to be dispersed. So that trust goes in connection with your will. So the money is sitting in the trust. That trust is a whole legal entity. So now here are some advantages of that. 
If somebody sued me as an individual, they only have access to my personal property. My trust is completely separate because there's no longer, that money don't belong to me anymore. It belongs to my trust. That trust is a whole nother person. They can't come after that. They can only come after me. Okay. So, but now the other things that, that really works with that is that now in conjunction to my will, I might put in there that says now in this trust, part of that is this million dollars, my, you know, my son, Lester Jr. I don't have a son, but, but if I have, but if I had Lester Jr., then I'm just saying, I know, Le- I know him. Okay. He is a rowdy little rascal and he's not going to do right. Right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put things in place that says he can get X amount of dollars when he turns 25. Okay. And then he can get another amount when he turns 30. He can get another amount. You see what I'm getting at? Or he can get a certain amount when he turns 21. Or he can get this amount to be able to use as a down payment on a house when he does this. You see, so you can put all kind of stipulations in a trust to be able to dictate how the money is to be used. So now Lester Jr. can't come. If I made him just straight as a beneficiary, then guess what? The money is paid directly to him. There are no guardrails in terms of what he can do with that money. He can do whatever he want to do with that money. If I put that money in a trust, now I've left some guardrails in there to where he can't, just can't blow through all that money at one point. I can just say he can't get, he can't get this percentage until he gets married. No, I don't want to do that because then he'll go, I ain't going to talk about who he might go marry just to be able to get access to the money. So that's what I'm saying. That that's why you've got to think through certain things and start putting, but that's one of the advantages of a trust. But again, but now let's talk about the trustee or why that's so important. Now you get that trust through an attorney. So it's not like you don't come to me as a financial advisor and say, I want to open up a trust. You need to have an attorney for that. The attorney will help you to not only open the trust, but they can give you certain certain guidelines in terms of helping you with your thinking, in terms of what kind of things should I be, should you know, here's what I'm thinking about doing. And he can tell you, no, 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 because think about what you just said, like what example I just gave you. Well, I want to, I want to put this in there, but I can say he can get $25,000 when he gets married. But then guess what? He can just go marry anybody, right? And then get the twenty-five thousand, and then just says, "Okay, bye." And so, so now the attorney then is going to kind of help you to get you know, to get through that. So now you really want to get somebody that's an estate attorney, okay? Somebody that specializes in estate planning. Those are the ones that's going to be really good at doing doing trust. A lot of attorneys can probably can do a trust for you, but that's not their specialty, okay? You can go to Taco Bell and order a steak, but that's not their specialty, okay? So don't get mad when it comes to that guy who says, I'll go, man, this steak don't taste like it did down here at the, at the chop house. That's not their specialty, bro. Just because they put it on the menu, that don't mean they're good at it. So you can get a lot of different attorneys that can do a, do a trust. That don't mean that's their specialty, though. So that's why I'm just telling you that when you start asking me, every financial advisor don't have the same skill set. Some people are going to narrow that thing down. Like I said, for me, mine is retirement planning. Mine is more on, you know, on wealth accumulation. So when you start talking about other things, and you said, I know a little bit about that. You know, you start, so don't even ask me right now, but Lester, tell me all about cryptocurrency. I can tell you generalities about it. That's not my specialty, though. You see what I mean? So, but that's where you want to get. So that trust is very important. But now, when you start talking about estate planning and you getting into that, so now you want to get that attorney to be able to help you to put that in place. But now your executor is going to be very important. 
Because now let me give you a real case in point. Because if you name somebody that's not that's not all all that all that trustworthy, then guess what can happen? I give you a real life example with one of my clients. I had a client to where the his father passed away and he left life insurance to his son. He only had one child, left it to his son. It was a million dollar life insurance policy, left it to his son. But he guess what he did? He put it in a truck and he says he cannot get this money until he turns 21. Can't get a dime of it until he turns 21. Okay. Now there's some good and bad in that. The bad part about that is, well, now he's got a mother that's a single mom that's struggling to try to make ends meet. Good person. You see what I mean? Not, not, not some, you know, mom that's just going to be trying to do all kind of crazy stuff. Really good, hardworking mom, but she sure could have utilized some of that money to help raise that child along the way. So she's struggling. The child is struggling when they sit there with a million dollars sitting there that they don't have access to. You see what I mean? But now they named their, but he named his sister because he mad at the wife because she's the ex-wife. So now he named his sister as being the executor of the trust, that I trust my sister. Okay, but now let me tell you what happened. Somewhere along the way, the sister and her husband owned their business, right? Their business got in, had a really couple of bad years in there. So they said, oh, you know what? We're just going to borrow some money out of, out of nephew's trust. And then when our business puts back, picks back up, we'll put the money back in. We're not stealing it. We're just kind of borrowing it for for just a little bit and we'll put it back in there because he's only 17 right now he, he can't get the money until he's 21 we'll definitely have it back in there by the time he's 21 well guess what the business didn't pick back up so now the mother is just asking for can we just get a statement just to be able to see how's the money doing how much has it grown where is it between now and then they wouldn't even give him a statement they wouldn't tell him anything that was going on why because they don't spend most of the money right so they had to go to a judge, get an injunction to be. So make a long story short. That's why I want you to be able to understand. So there is some, there's some good things about trust, but you also see there's some vulnerable built. There are some places where trust can be kind of vulnerable as well, depending upon the executive, because the executive is the one that's in charge of executing what you put in for that trust is designed for. So. That's what you've got to understand. So the trust is only as good as the executor. Now, can you sue that executor? Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, if that trust, if that, if that trustee or the executor of that trust mishandles that money, then they can be sued. But that's where you get to go with that. Okay. So can you have multiple executors of the trust? I won't say that you can't, but now you're putting two people in a position that well, we got to agree. So that's another place where you want to talk to your estate attorney and about appointing uh, about appointing that executor because once again you name me and my brother as as a co-trustee uh, executors on that and now what if we don't agree on something so who makes the who makes the final decision and see and this goes back to what I said earlier about those those three uh, legal documents that you want to have like a living will. I see, I see all of you guys are young. So you're like, why is he talking to me about stuff, you know, that, man, that's for old people. Well, do you ever known anybody to be in a car accident and now they're on life support, laying in the hospital on, you know, on life support? Do you got to be 90 for that to happen to you? And now your family's in a position where sitting there saying the doctor comes to you and they pull you out in the hall and says, hey, family, I need to, you know, I need to talk to somebody here. You know, hey, let's, let me tell you what's going on. 
you know, hey, Lester's not doing too well. The only thing that's keeping him alive is this machine. And so, listen, somebody's got to make a decision, right? Well, so if Lester don't have a living will or have a medical directive, direct directive, then somebody in my family has got to make that decision on who's going to pull the plug. So that lands, that lands on my wife. So now my wife is the one that's in charge. So now I got, I got, man, I'm, I'm coming from a big family. I got five brothers and five sisters. Now everybody at the hospital, including my wife, right? And now the doctor's sitting there, all my family handing around, standing around, and the doctor looking at her and says, okay, uh, Miss Jones, what do you want to do? And she said, pull the plug, send him on to glory. And now my family looking at her is like, and you're going to be next if you pull that plug on my brother. You see what I mean? <laughs> so those are the kind of things that you've got to say, but what if Lester had already made that decision, though? I put that in my living will that says, if I am in a vegetative state, don't keep me like that, because if I'm not me, then I've already made arrangements. You understand what I'm talking about? I've made arrangements. So you ain't got to hope, you ain't got to keep me around. If I'm not here, then send me on to my next destination because this house is not my home. So you go ahead and just evict me. Go and send me to where I'm going. So, so you ain't got to make that decision for me. I've already made that decision. So I, have, I can take that pressure off my wife and off my family because see, now nobody's got to look because I got a living legal document that says this is what Lester has put in place. He made that decision, and I don't put that kind of pressure on my family to be able to do that. Wow, great information, man. You know, I was going to say, man, you in deacon mode right now. I remember I called you the other night as you were driving to the church. Didn't know you were deacon, man, but I can hear it coming out, man. But in around this time of year, like my anniversary was in June. So, you know, I'm kind of, you know, as far as my credit cards, the credit score looking pretty good. The balance is nice and low. But then I kind of turned into Al Bundy around October, November. The wife, we in the mall. The wife looking at these bags, looking at pots and pans, looking at, you know, furniture and things. Because, you know, we hosting Thanksgiving at our house this year. So she want to upgrade some furniture. She want to go to Haverty's. And I'm looking at her like, you know, my score is where I want it to be. I don't, I don't want to spend this money now. Like, I have the money. It's available. But I know when I spend this, my credit score is going to drop. It's going to take me a few months to pay this money back. So as we're going into this season in the fall, our scores is looking good now, but it's kind of like, you know, okay, we, we kind of want to hold on to it because we know the journey from January to now took some time to pay that down. So what advice would you give as we go into the holiday season? Um, you know, and a lot of us like me, I do it every, I put the money on my credit card, try to accumulate points so I can take some trips in June, July. But then from January till June, July, I'm paying down these high balances and things. So what advice would you give as we go into the holidays and you have a good score and you know every year you spend this money, you're going to drop these points, but it comes back though. Okay, uh, really good conversation there. Let's talk about that. Number one is that you need to have, I always talk about, especially with married couples, many times that you have a husband and wife and it's sometimes that's very difficult to agree on how we handle money, right? So it's very good to have a mediator, have somebody there in the middle. Make, let somebody else be the bad guy, Corey. Don't, you don't need to be the bad guy in that situation. So this is where, again, having a good financial advisor can be very, very critical uh, to you in those particular things. Because now 
I become the best. I'm not saying me personally, okay, because I'm not trying to promote me at all. And, and, you know, and here's one thing that you're going to find out about me. When I come on these kind of things, I'm never in salesman mode, okay? That I, I really I don't ever want to be in sales. I'm not ever trying to promote me, a product, or my services, anything like that. I love having these conversations. I love being able to talk to our community and just being able to let's chop it up and let's talk about, you know, some particular concepts without anybody feeling like, okay, here comes the pitch. I ain't got no pitch, man. You ain't got to do nothing. Nobody on ever, any of these podcasts ever got to do anything with me. I just want to get the information out there. That's why I really applaud you guys from doing this. But what I am, what I, what I am a true believer of, though, is being able to have that person in the middle where a financial advisor can make a big difference. Because, see, now, if it's just me and my wife, my wife feels like she is just, she feels like she's a lot more intelligent than I am. And you know what? She's, that's true, okay? So then how is it that my opinion is greater than her opinion when it comes to making these financial decisions about what we're going to do around Christmas time and what we're going to, are we going to get this furniture? We're going to be able to do that because that's very important to her. You know what? And, you know, so there's some things about me that I want to see that I want to do that is not, that's not a high priority to me, to her, but it's very high important to me. So now if I don't let her get what she wants, she will let me get what I want when those kinds. So now we already got this back and forth thing going on all the time. So, so here's where it starts. It's got to start at the beginning of the year, not in October. At the beginning of the year, we've got to sit down and be able to put some things in place. We've got to sit down and just and map out where do we, you know, what, let me ask you this, Court. Do you know what day, of the, what day of the year did Christmas land on last year? Not what day of the week. It was when is Christmas usually? Like what day of the month? Oh, the 25th, yeah. That's the 25th? Is it in like October or May? Is it or is it always in the same month? December twenty fifth every year. It's the same every year, isn't it? Yes. Okay, so if it's the same every year, then why is it that every year we get to Christmas, we're having the same conversation about what we're gonna do for Christmas? And right? That's what I'm saying because you know, I have the same routine every year. That's what I'm trying to get out of this habit of breaking. You got to like, change that habit. Okay, so that means that in January you've got to be able to sit down and go back and look at last year's Christmas and be able to say, how much money that we do we typically spend on Christmas? What kind of things do we typically do on Christmas? Do we typically take a trip? Do we buy, what do we buy for our kids? What do we do for our family? What kind of things do we do? And when you take a look at that and you says, okay, well, last year we spent about $2,200 on Christmas, and we put that on the Capital One. And then it took us this, this, and this. And then we did this, and last Christmas we did that. So now if you know that, and now you sit down with you and your wife and you say, okay, now, baby, let's prioritize this year. Because we've been spending somewhere around $2,000 a year on Christmas, all right? So if we, what we need to do then is that we need to set up a Christmas fund. And in January, we're going to start putting aside $200 a month. So that way, by the time Christmas comes around, we, we go into our Christmas fund, and boom, there's that, that $2,000 is already sitting there. We don't have to go into credit cards. We're not, and then, and that's all we're going to spend on Christmas of what we have accumulated in that particular fund. So when that's gone, it's gone. There's no more negotiating about that. We've already pre, you got to pre-spend money. You've got to, you got to be, you got to tell money what it's going to do. You can't let money tell you what it's going to do. So you've got to put those things in place at the beginning of the year set those things in order and already pre-designed. This is how much money we're going to spend for on Christmas. 
and and let that be it. Your yay has to be yay, and your nay has to be nay. And you put that money aside, and then that's what it is. Yeah, man, you're making me nervous, man. My wife's going to be looking at me. What we need to get them folks involved? I want this right now. You told me last year I can get it. It's this year now. You can you can get that and score you can, back baby, up. Baby, baby, listen, you can. We can do all of that. Okay, we can do all of that. But let's talk about what whatever. See, like in math, that's what I like about math. In physics, that's, that's that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So what you've got to say, okay, baby, that's that, that's no problem. We can do it. We can do that specifically. We can go get that furniture from Haverty's. But let me talk about for that action. Let me show you what the reaction is going to be to that, though. Okay, and then let's talk about is that action worth it? Are we willing to deal with this consequence to be able to get this reward? So as long as we, as long as you're okay with the consequence to it, then I'm good, baby. Let's let's rock and roll with it. But we've got to decide. We got to sit down and set some goals. Where do we want to be at the end of this year? So now you want to start looking at starting out with savings goals. That's one of the things that I did with my kids. My kids used to say, Daddy, we want to take this trip. We want to do this. See, to me, my answer is always yes. It's always yes and amen, okay? My answer is never no. But the question is, okay, yes, we can do that, but let's talk about our plan. What do we got to do to put ourselves in a position to where we can do that? So now we set everything in terms of goals. So you start talking about goal setting. See, That's something we hadn't even talked about on this you know, on this particular broadcast, we got to start talking about goal setting. So if you said, well, baby, we said we wanted to be debt-free by this particular time. Is that really how, how of a priority to us is that? So now we can sit, you need your wife to sit down and get a piece of paper out. And let's, start, let's talk about our goals for this year. Where do we want to be in five years? Okay, so this is how much money we got in debt right now. This is how much money we got in savings right now. How much long do we want to be able to be work before we can retire? You know, with, do we want, how much do we want to have to be able to put toward our kids' college education? Or does that even matter? Do we want to be able to help our kids, you know, with college education? Or are we going to say, well, hey, I got through college. They can get through college. You know, that's on them. All right? So it's just a matter of your priorities. So you got to sit down and have that conversation on the front end. You see, but if you include her in, the, in, in those decisions in terms of what's important to us and write them down, and then it says, okay, so now let's rank what we wrote down and say, what are the top five financial uh, financial goals that we want to have? And it says, do we want to be debt-free? Is that even a goal of ours? Do we, is that important for us to become debt-free? Well, you know, Nelson and his wife said they want to be debt-free in five years. Your wife said, well, hey, that's Nelson. That ain't me. That, that's, that's not a priority for me right now. Okay, so don't tell me about what Nelson's doing. That, that his, Nelson don't live here, Right. So you have to start saying, okay, baby, let's talk about what's important for us, though. What's important for us? So let's just, I'm just, I'm just brainstorming. So this is what I'm talking to my wife. Baby, let's just brainstorm. So let's write down some things that, that many people use as financial priorities. One might be in debt-free. One might be having a house paid off. One might be in retiring early by this particular age. One might be able to save for our kids' college. Even if we don't pay for all of it, but save for our kids' college. One might be able to have and being fully insured, having the proper amount of life insurance. Another one might be, I want to have, you know, uh, different streams of, of income coming in. So whatever you put those things down and you says, okay, well, we brainstorm. So we wrote all these things down. It says, okay, now, baby, let's talk about, let's, let's rank these things in order of importance. What's number one out of the five things we just wrote down? What's the number one important thing to us on this list? 
What's number two? What's number three? Now, let's break that down a little bit further and say, what is a must and what would be cool if it happened, but if it don't, no big deal. You see, so now when you put those things out there, now, Corey, you says, all right, so baby, now if we stand that this is the number one priority, now we got to talk to somebody about how do we get that, though? If we want to be retired by the time we're 50 or the time we're 55, how much do we need to be saving to be financially independent? How much do we got to be saving every month to get there? So in other words, what is my financial independence number? How much money do I need to have saved such that I can live off that savings for the rest of my life and be financially free? Is that a million dollars? Is that 800000 Is that $2.2 million? How much money do I got to have saved? So now once you get that number, it says, okay, baby, our number, we got to have $1.8 million saved by the time we turn 60 years old. How much we got right now? Well, we got 50000 in our 401k. Well, then how much we need to be putting to that every month? And then what kind of rate of return we got to be getting in order to get there? Oh, well, according to our financial advisor, he says, well, we got to be saving $800 a month. Okay, so if we know that and we said that's our number one priority, then can we really afford this having these furniture? Because if we put that on the credit card, that payment is going to be this plus our car payment plus this, then that means that we're only going to be able to save like 350 So really, that by retiring at this, it's really not our number one priority then, is it? This furniture is really our number one priority. So we need to put that down. We need to, we need to shuffle this thing around because we got to say having these furniture is number one and, and retirement is number nine. So you see, having those kind of conversations where, where they are included and they can see if well, we can do this, but there are going to be consequences on the other side if we don't. We can't do it all. So we got to figure out what's the most important, what's the next most important, and what's not really important at all. It's cool if it happens, but if it don't, no big deal. That's why having a plan is important. Wow. And let's let's talk about debt management for a second. You know, I kind of set set the stage with the other question about, you know, going into the holidays, you know, I'm cards are under 30%. But like I said, once October come, once Thanksgiving come, Christmas come, you know, buying gifts and all that, that 30%, you'd be like 65, 70, some might get to 100%, but then I pay it back down. So that leads to my next question. We talking about um, generational wealth, but we also need to talk about debt management because I've had family members pass away. They didn't have any debt. They paid their debt off, but there was no generational wealth. So I feel like people seem to realize that there's some type of correlations where, oh, she got good credit. Her debt's paid off. So I know they're going to have some generational wealth. Can you just talk about that a little? Because I feel like that runs rampant in our community as well. Sure. So two things that you got to put in place in order to start creating that. Number one is when you're young, when you're in your 20s, your 30s, and even in your 40s, you just hadn't lived long enough yet to even start talking about passing on generational wealth. I'm talking about people who starting like what like I started, starting from nothing. Okay, so this is when you're starting from nothing, it takes time in order to start really building and accumulating wealth. So what I got, what you got to do in the meantime is you said, until I get, until I own money, I got to rent some. So that's where life insurance comes in. You've got to have life insurance in place on the front end. You're renting money from a life insurance company until you own it. Hear what I just said. You got to rent that money from a life insurance company until I own it. So right now I said, I want to pass on a million dollars to my family if something were to happen to me. Well, you said, well, I'm only 35. I don't have a million dollars right now. Then I need to go rent me some from a life insurance company. So I go pay them 100 bucks a month. 
And so they give me a, they give me a hundred a million dollar life insurance policy. So now I only got twenty thousand dollars saved right now. So if I were to die without that life insurance, then what is my generational wealth? Well, I'm passing on twenty grand. Well, my family's going to cost me sixteen. So now I just left my family four thousand dollars. Come on now. So now, and you talk about generational wealth. Give me a break. So you got to start thinking in terms of what do you got to do. So that's where your life insurance comes in and says, "Well, hey, listen, I only got twenty thousand, but I can go and rent me a million, and then so if I were to pass away, my twenty thousand over here, so I can get that so that million dollars now is going to come through that life insurance completely tax free. See, because it, because money coming from life insurance is tax free. Okay, so now my kids or my spouse can inherit that million dollars from that life insurance policy. And then that's where it begins, or that $2 million, whatever you put in place out there. Now, what that does is buys me time. So now I'm 35 years old. I'm 25 years old. And I, so now I give me a good, solid term life insurance policy. I continue to pay on that. Now, when I'm 55 years old, guess what? Now I got a million dollars. I got $2 million. He says, well, now I don't have to rent that life insurance anymore. I can cancel that life insurance because now I own that million dollars. I don't need to rent it. I own it now. So if I were to pass away, I'm still passing on that million or $2 million to my family tax-free because guess what? Now that, that money is there to pass on to that next generation, and I can continue to do that. So that's where life insurance has to be a part of that initial plan in the very beginning because until I have that money, I got to rent that money, and that's where that bridge comes in there. I got a quick one. Uh, it's Commissioner Scott again. Since we're talking about life insurance policy, We've been watching a couple of podcasts and they keep talking about the index universal life insurance policy, how it can be used for infinite banking and a policy owner can borrow money from it without being taxed during repayment as you would if you borrow from a 401k or TSP account. So I guess the question is, uh, I mean, is that true? Is an index universal life insurance policy something that's good to have that you could borrow? I think they say they borrow off of the death benefit and have a high cash value or something like that. If you if you care to share any knowledge about that, it'd be appreciated. Yeah, now that's that's tricky. That's true, but it's tricky. Okay, um, so every life insurance policy, when you start talking about index universal life, and then you mention the term of infinite banking, the infinite banking concept is better. The better type of policy would be a version of a whole life not universal life to be able to use in in that when you talk about the universe the the infinite banking concept. Now, there's a lot of opinions and information out there about cash value life insurance, okay? Even the company that I work for, we really kind of teach people against buying cash value life insurance policies as an investment because in general, that's usually a bad idea to, in, to use life insurance as an investment because there's a much better way to invest as opposed to using a life insurance policy as an investment. But now when you're talking about to answer your question directly about index universal life, the way that that is being presented to a lot of people out there is that mainly is that using it from the concept of you can put the money in there and then you can start later borrow, you can take a loan against that and you be a, and and then you can you don't have to pay taxes on it. Um, for, in certain cases, you don't have to pay it back. There's all different kind of things that you can say it's just like borrowing from your 401k. That's not exactly true. Okay, when you're using index universal life, then what you're doing is number one is that you have to, unless you overfund it on the front end, 
meaning that you have to put in, like if, say if you're, when you buy that policy, say if I bought a $50,000 policy and the, and the minimum premium is $50 a month. Well, then if I want to put myself in a position where I can start utilizing that infinite banking type concept, then I got to front load that policy, meaning that I might have to go in and drop 10000 in it on the front end and then pay those premiums such that I have an excess in my cash value on the front end. And then therefore, if I needed to take a loan, then that money is I've already front loaded that policy. So now when I start taking money out, the way the reason that it's not taxable is because it works on that FIFO concept in, in, that, in, that, in that insurance, meaning that first in, first out. Because the only thing you're doing is you're taking the money that you put in back out. And so that from, a, from an IRS standpoint, then that's how they look at it. They treat it as you're taking back part of your own money on the front end. But that's not truly how it is. The insurance company, is they're not, you're really not borrowing your money. The insurance company is truly giving you a loan, but they're using your cash value as collateral. Okay? So, therefore, the cash value, the 10000 that you put in there, is used as collateral on that loan. So therefore, when you, uh, but if you don't pay it back, then guess what happens? If that fifty thousand dollar policy that you had, now when you are to pass away, you thinking your family is going to get fifty thousand. They're not going to get fifty. That that loan is going to be deducted from that death benefit, okay? Plus interest because you still got to pay interest on the loan because that's truly a loan. It's not like on your four hundred one k where you paying yourself back interest. You truly paying the insurance company back interest. But now the insurance, but the interest could be a lot cheaper than going and borrowing it from a bank, especially if my credit is kind of shaky. You know, I might have to, you know, get a loan from a bank. I might be paying double digit interest rate where I can get it out of my policy if maybe four or five percent. Okay. Every policy is not designed the same. Okay. So that's why I'm saying if you're going to use uh, index universal life or some form of whole life for it, uh, for using, um, that infinite banking, you got to make sure that 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 in, that policy is designed correctly. And so, how in the world, me as just the average consumer, I'm completely counting upon that insurance agent to be able to sell me the right kind of policy. And guys, I'm going to be honest with you, that is a that you stepping way out there on a limb to be able to to make sure that you're getting that if you're not fully. Under, that if you don't really understand truly how that works, and those policies are very, very complicated. I know most people in the industry that, that sell life insurance don't even understand how they work. They know how to sell them. Most people that, that in the insurance business or even in the financial business, most of the training is trained in teaching people how to sell the product. They're not, they're not really focused that much on te teaching people how the product actually works. So good luck in trying to find somebody that's very knowledgeable and that can be able to really teach a person, this is the type of policy that you need to be looking for. So now this is where you've got to be careful if you're going to use that type of policy in that way, because they can be very tricky, they can be very complicated. So in general, I do not recommend them because there's got to be somebody that, that you really understand what you're buying and you know how to evaluate, am I getting the right type of policy? Is it set up? Is it designed correctly um, in order for me to get that benefit? And then again, unless you've, got, unless you've got a lot of money because there's a lot of fees involved in those policies, in an index universal life policy, you're paying a commission, 
you paying administrative fees, you paying all other kind of you, you paying several different fees inside of that where you could just do a lot better if you use that as an investment uh, in much different ways that you can go do that on your own. So I'm just so I'm just saying that I'm not saying that it can't be used. But unless you've got a lot of money that you can front load that policy, that's the only way that that infinite banking concept works. Because if you're trying to use that as a, hey, I'm going to use that and put the money and then I'm going to start using that. And then let's just say if I want to start using it to uh, buy real estate with it. Okay. Now, because that's one of the uses that people, that the agents can talk about. Hey, you can use it. You can buy real estate. You can do all that kind of stuff, but you can borrow from yourself. Now you can borrow out of your policy. Well, think about it. For me to have fifty thousand dollars built up in there, for me to, um, you know, for me to go buy a real estate property, or to put down payment on a real estate property, you think about if I'm just paying two hundred dollars a month in that policy, how long is it going to take for me to build that up? So unless you can just go front load that with money and then come back and borrow from it, which is sometimes that can give you a very good tax advantage to do it that way, but you got to have the money on the front end. Not on the where I'm going to pay a hundred dollars a month on this policy, and then 20 years later I have enough money to do something with it because it's just not. So I'm just telling you guys that is that is a way that you can do it, but buyer beware. That is not where I would start. Thanks for those tips because uh, sometimes we hear things on the internet on YouTube and it becomes a trend. But from what I'm hearing you say is make sure you do the research on that policy and make sure if you're going to do it. You know, you got to have that front load money, but do the research because all policies are different, right? They are very, very different. And then the other part of that, Commissioner, is that it's hard to do the research. You've got to already be somewhat knowledgeable because if you don't, again, we don't know what we don't know. So if you don't know how to ask the right questions, you're definitely not going to get the right answers. Because if I'm just going and talking to the average insurance salesman and that person, because I heard something, I, re I saw this TikTok video and they said, you need to be really jumping into this infinite banking and using life insurance to be able to do that. And that's all I know. And I go to my XYZ insurance agent and say, I want one of those infinite banking policies. And say, oh, yeah, man, we got those and we can hook you up. And you don't even know. OK, well, good. Because I heard this rapper or I heard this person on TikTok say, that, man, that's a good way to go. But you don't know all the details and you don't even know what questions to ask. And so then they write you the policy and you got the policy in your hand, but you don't even know how you what are you reading? Do you even know what you're reading? You don't know what it says. You don't know what the clauses are. You don't know whether you said, but I don't, man, but, but that, that, that's what so-and-so said on TikTok. OK, but now, but I Googled it. Okay, but now you can do a whole lot of stuff, but do you really understand what you're reading? So that's what I'm saying, man. It's just, if, unless that's something that you can really talk to somebody that, and you're dealing with an advisor that's extremely knowledgeable about how those things work and how they're supposed to be designed to where you know when I get that policy, you can sit down with a professional and let them look in there and say, is it the right kind of design? the same way it is on getting a 401k plan. Because I design 401ks for companies, I know what to look for. So if, 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 I know, if I'm talking with you and you're sitting there telling me, say, Lester, I'm a small business owner, and then you say, hey, I got this 401k, and I say, well, let me take a look at that. I, I immediately know what to look for in your 401k design. And if I don't see those things, I can immediately say, this is going to cause you problems down the road. This right here is going to, this is going to be a gotcha right here. Why you got this clause in here or why do you not have this particular clause in here to be able to do that? I know exactly where to go. But unless you know those kind of things, then God bless you, brother, because that's going to be a tough one.
if you're going to be in the type of business that we're in, then we're dealing with people's money. So next to our family and our religion, our money is the next important thing. So we've got to be putting things in there to where if somebody comes to me and says, Lester, I need you to help me with my money. I, I better take that very, very seriously. Because when I sit down with somebody, they talk to me and they say, here's my money. See, I don't just see that as an account. You see, Commissioner, I see you. I see your family. I see your life. I see your goals. And, and man, I take that stuff very, very seriously. So I make sure that I put the time, the energy. I do my homework. I'm going to make sure that I'm a professional at what I do uh, because I owe it to you to be able to do that. So I, so I put on these academies because we have a lot of other brothers around the country, man, that, uh, that they want to get better. They want to grow. They want to learn. They want to get into these deeper concepts. So I, I do these academies to help to train, especially our people, uh, how to become a professional in, in becoming a financial advisor, not a good salesman. I want you to become a true professional at being an advisor, not being a great salesman. Because you can, you can treat anybody how to just sell something. But it's completely different to start talking about, now we've got to learn about critical thinking, how to really ask the right questions, and then how to really analyze and be able to get into there and help people to put together a real customized plan for each and every individual to be able to do that. So I just want to just end with just before, you, before we wrap up, I just want to be able to just say one quick little thing. Um, I think we can kind of bring everything together. Guys, everything's got to start with, number one, is just changing some very quick habits. So if I'm just getting started, one of the first concepts that I'm going to teach is a principle called paying yourself first, okay? So this goes out to everybody and anybody, you know, is that you got to learn that as a discipline to pay yourself first. See, guys, I'm 56 years old, and when I get into the gym, like Corey just talking about, you're talking about being a beast, come work out with me. Okay, and then, and then we can, and you'll be able to see, man. I go, man, I go, man. It is unbelievable how hard I work in the gym. And the reason I do it like that, I'm in just as good a shape today as I was when I was in my 20s. And why is that? Because that's a priority to me in my life. And I have very strict disciplines in terms of I don't miss. You know, I'm, I'm up and I'm in, and I'm and I'm doing my workouts, man, and I'm killing myself to be able to do that because my health. Is a very important part of my life. So I'm going to make sure that I'm going to put those disciplines in place. So you've got to do the same thing when it comes to our finances, which is, means that it's got to become a priority, which means that out of every paycheck, that I'm going to set aside a certain percentage of everything that I make that's going to be going into some type of savings or investment plan. And you've got to commit to that. It can't be, though, well, as soon as, I, as soon as this happens, no. You just, even if it's something small, commit to that. And says, out of every paycheck, I'm going to do 1%, 5%, 2%, 10%. But you got to start and be, and be very disciplined with that. As the Bible tells, be faithful over a few things, and then God will raise you up, and you can become a ruler over men. You see, my daughter came in and asked me and said, Daddy, you know, when are you going to buy me a car? And I'm saying, you won't even take care of the bicycle that I bought you. So why in the world would I buy you a car? So that's why we've got to start thinking. We keep, we keep trying to tell God, is that, Lord, I want you to expand my territory. He said, but when are you going to be a good steward of what I've already placed into your hand? we got to learn stewardship. Be a good steward of what God already has put into your hand. You said, well, I don't make six figures. Well, do be a good steward of the one figure that you have. Because if you can't be a good steward of that one figure, how, what, what's going to be different when you got six of them? You're just going to be six times as bad. So just start right there, using that as a principle. 
The other thing that I want to leave you with is just be willing to just understand is that we always want to have, we preach about having balance in our life, balance, balance. You know, you know, so, hey, you know, we can't all be just be about money. It just can't be about saving money. We got to have some balance. We got to be, we got to enjoy our life as well. See, but at some point, if you ever want to have freedom, when I'm talking about truly being free, meaning that now I have, I control time and money. I won't say control, but that means that I have both of those at my disposal. You see, because it don't do any good to just have a lot of money and have no time. And it doesn't do any good to have a lot of time and have no money. In order to be truly free, you got to be able to have both of those at your disposal. You got to be able to have time and money. That's what gives you true freedom in life. Okay? So in order to have balance, to create balance, you got to get out of balance in order to create balance. So on the front end, you're going to have to front load some stuff. Meaning that maybe we're going to have to just really buckle down and put some other things on the back burner right now. Yes, we do want to got, buy some new furniture, but that can't be our top priority right now. Yes, we do want to go get that new BMW, but that can't be our top priority right now. We're going to always be wanting something until we get to a point to where we don't have to want for anything. So how do we get there? It's making saving and investing a priority on the front end. If we go do that and make that a priority, you see, then we'll get to a position to where we don't really have to want for anything. And then guess what? See, now that balance comes in back into your life because, see, now when you got time and money on your hands, then you're going to see like, oh, wow, man, some of those things that I thought was so important, not even as important to you anymore. Because a lot of those things that I, that I said I wish that I could go buy if I had some money. Now that I can afford those things, they're not as important to me, you know, anymore because it's just not. It's just this little shiny thing. And then the last thing is, guys, is that once you really put the, everything in the context, the context of things is, is that learn to just enjoy things. Don't worship things. Enjoy money. Don't worship money. Put yourself in a position to where you understand that life is fleeting, man. You got to say, is that, hey, I enjoy, I, man, I, I worship God, right? And I enjoy things, and I never get that twisted. So I want to put myself in a position to where people are going to be the most important things in my life. You see, if I can't, if I'm a man and I and, and, and I can't speak to my wife in ways to where she sees that you know that I love her and I cherish her and and she's the number one thing in my life, then what is all this money? For? What have I really accomplished with just saying I've accumulated all this all this money? And if my if my kids are saying, I want to be like Mike, well, my name ain't Mike. You see, if my kids don't see me as being the hero in their life, I have failed at some point in my life just because I got a really good uh, balance sheet that I can be able to show people. See, folks, at the end of the day, what balance really comes in is that what are people going to remember about you when you're no longer here? People are not going to remember the fact that you owned a Porsche and you had a big house and you have fine cars, and you have Gucci, and you have all these kind of things. What people are going to remember most about you is the lasting legacy that you're really going to leave, that you want to pass down to the next generation. The real generational wealth that we need to be talking about is that you need to be passing on something that people would never forget, and that is how did you make them feel? What did you do to make my life better because you were in my presence? You see, that's what people, that's what you really want to gravitate to right there. When you can find that people gravitate to you and you start to be able to see the true value that I have, it's not in my bank account, in my investment account. It's my ability to make people around me better. 
And if, and if God can use me in a way to say that, I, Lester, I can put money into your hands. And if, if I put money into your hands, you're going to make other people better. Because you know why? It's because I'm blessing you such that you can be a blessing. But if my attitude is I'm going to go get all I can, can all I get, and then sit on the can, then God is never going to open up the blessings to me truly. It's because that I'm not being a blessing to other people. So that's the thing that we've got to understand, folks, is that when we get our perspectives right and we start looking at things through those particular channels, then watch what happens. Watch how your world really opens up when you see yourself as being a vessel to be a blessing. And you just start saying is that I am a blessing to, to which blessings flow. And watch how blessings were, how things were really opened up to you. See, guys, I ain't never been a big dog, man. I ain't never want to have that title of being a big dog. I'm just a, I'm just a little dog that won't stop barking, right? Because I just want it going to be used, man. All right, Corey, appreciate y'all, man. Thank y'all so much. I hope this has been a help. And I'm sorry that they had to do two takes to get all this in, but man, but this is just, uh, I just really applaud y'all for what you're doing. Yeah, man. And thanks, Lester, for pulling up on Black Men Sundays, man. Like I tell all our guests, you could have been anywhere in the world. I mean, it's Sunday. You could have been anywhere in the world. You could have been on the golf course. You could have had your feet in that ice bath on the grill, but you came through Bless the Black Men Sunday stage. Man, I heard four meetings featuring you, and I said, I need this guy on the show. He's strong. He's black. He believes in God. He's a deacon. This brother played football and has a bachelor of science in math and computer science. So I'm just saying, if y'all didn't hear the credentials I dropped at the beginning, you heard them. So, Lester, thanks for coming on Black Men's Sundays. I hope you had a good time, man. I did, man. This was wonderful. This was awesome, man. I just, I love what you guys are doing. God bless you. I'm just telling you, I don't think that, you know, greatness is not fully appreciated until, you, until you're until gone. But I want to let you guys know right now is that I truly appreciate what y'all are doing. Not because I'm on here. Is that just like you just said, just like I could be in any place, you guys could be any place right now, man. You are blessed. You guys are blessing our community. Keep doing what you're doing, brother. Check.